Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Santi Bibiloni, the co-founder and CEO of Core, a SaaS product for creative and professional teams that intelligently suggests how to run their projects, finances, and resources in order to improve profitability. In 2015, Santi was running a successful e-commerce agency in Argentina. As the business grew, it became increasingly difficult to track the profitability of client projects. At first, Santi and his partners assumed that larger agencies had already solved this problem. But when they did their research, they learned that this was a very common problem and there wasn't a good solution out there. So the founders decided to build the solution themselves. Once they'd built an MVP, they managed to get two other agencies in Buenos Aires to try out their solution. But those early users hated the product. It had lots of bugs and a poorly designed user interface. But even then, they were willing to keep using the tool because it was helping to solve a real pain. And that helped validate the idea and got the founders to be able to raise an angel round. But they spent most of that money on paid media that didn't really work. They tried running ads on Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. But at the time, they didn't have a robust solution and selling ads wasn't a good way to spend their money. They were doing about 2K in MRR and growth was slow. What helped them to find traction was to move up market and focus on enterprise businesses. And some of them were the largest agencies in the world. And they targeted those instead of selling to small and medium-sized businesses. And that helped them to get their revenue to multiple seven figures. And they recently raised a Series A round. In this interview, we cover some great topics. Santi explains how they went from offering free trials and monthly payments, as many SaaS businesses do, to having no free trials and selling multi-year contracts instead. We deep dive into how they use both cold email and inbound marketing to drive the majority of their growth. And we share some lessons on how early stage startups can move up market and how you can sell to enterprise customers. So I hope you enjoy it. Santi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Omar. Happy to be here. So do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you or just gets you out of bed every day that you can share with us? Yeah, sure. Think big, take risks, and be resilient. Nice and simple. Like it. Yeah. So tell us about Core. What does the product do? Who's it for? And and what's the main problem you're helping solve? Sure. So Core is the project's profitability platform. We are creating a new category. We're not within project management. And what we are doing is helping creative and professional teams understand projects' profitability in real time and automatically. Everyone hates to do time tracking manually, not just because it's, it's tedious. I mean, people have a hard time doing time tracking, but at the same time, we have been educated that like logging hours is for our control and it's nothing but that. I mean, managers need to understand where people are investing their time in order they can negotiate better fees with the clients. 
I mean, if you don't understand where your costs are, mostly in this B-level hour market, I mean, we tackle the professional services firms. So companies like agencies, uh, consulting firms, software development shops, law firms, accounting firms, where 80 to 90% of the costs are the hours of the people. Mm -hmm. So if you don't understand where your hours are or where your costs are, that it's the same, you cannot negotiate better fees with your clients. And this can increase all revenue, of course, as you negotiate better, but also you increase profitability. And increasing profitability is the, is the mainly point in this industry, in the beloved hours industry. Think, Omar, that today $5 trillion are spent just in the US on, on this industry. I mean, if you take into account all the professional services here in, in the US, like consulting firms, also you add private equity, all, all of this within this vertical, you're talking about almost one fourth of the GDP. Wow. And if you don't have visibility on how these fees with clients, I mean, an agency has a fee with a client, like Ogilvy has a fee with Coca-Cola, for example, if you don't have visibility on how this fee is being operated, if you don't have visibility on the costs, it's very difficult for you to run a profitable project and, and then that you can increase your people's salaries, you can hire more people. I mean, you can, you're going to see a lot of people working in this industry, like on ad agencies, for example, that are working a huge amount of hours and they are getting no extra pay. And this is not because the, their managers are, are keeping the money. It's because it's impossible to increase a salary, to increase a cost if you're not increasing your prices, right? So the first thing to do is understand where your costs are going in real time and automatically without requiring your people to do time tracking manually because they hate it and they feel control. And so once you can understand those goals, you can negotiate and increase revenue and profitability. So tell me about the size of the, the company today. Where are you guys in terms of revenue, size of team? So we are today between $1 million and $2 million in ARR. We've been growing almost 9% month over month uh, for the last six months. And we have a net revenue retention of 114%. We have a churn in terms of dollars of 4% for the last 12 months, 4.5% for the last 12 months. And in terms of team size, we started the year 2021 being 35 people. We have just closed our Series A. We're now 65 people. And we are. our goal is to continue growing at a almost 180% year over year in terms of revenue. That means like tripling revenue year over year. And, and in, in terms of team size, our goal is to, to be at 100 people for the end of the year. Nice. Okay. So let's, let's start talking about where the idea for this, this product and this business came from. You had a couple of co-founders that you work with when you started this this business. Yeah. How did you guys come up with the idea? So we were leading our previous company. So we co-founded Balloon Group. It was a, it is still is a, an e-commerce 
agency based in Latin America that it was named Argentina's fastest growing e-commerce agency in 2014. And although our revenue was growing and our our team was growing, when you're in the B-level hours market, I mean, when you're selling hours, it's not only about revenue and about team, it's about profits, right? It's a different, it's a different animal than building a product, building a, a SaaS company, right? So it was impossible for us to know beforehand how much money in dividends we're going to have as co-founders, as partners of the company, right? And it was impossible to understand that because as clients were requiring new changes on their services, we were adding more hours. So once you start, if you're selling a fixed price project and you start putting more hours, more hours, more hours, it means more costs. And then you're having a profitability problem. And if you don't have visibility on that in real time, you end up delivering unprofitable projects for unprofitable clients. So that's the way we we felt the problem firsthand. And we started asking to ourselves, okay, like how are these other agencies or companies solving this problem? And we at first we thought we thought, okay, maybe because we are 26-year-old guys based in Argentina. I mean, this is maybe a problem that is already solved in, I don't know, in the U.S. by bigger companies. And we we did a huge market research, and we understood that the largest agencies and the smaller agencies, they all were using horizontal project management tools such as Asana, Trello, Basecamp, and more. And don't get me wrong, they're excellent project management tools, but none of them solved this problem. I mean... They're all horizontal project management tools and core is a vertical solution, end-to-end solution that has everything that a professional services firm needs to operate. And the best thing is that it's, it's focused on understanding where people are spending their time and how much time a task, a project, a service really takes. So you can send estimates to your clients on an accurate way. You can estimate time internally on an accurate way. You can deliver a project in time and profitably. And we understood that we were creating a new category. And it was not about project management. Project management is not a real problem. I mean, it's great you have to assign tasks and collaboration. But what is worse is to hire 50 people to do an app mobile, for example, a mobile app. And and to deliver that project unprofitable after working on it during six months or or twelve months, right? And and I think the problem a lot of companies, maybe enterprise businesses, who who are running projects and using, you know, one of the 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 tools that you you mentioned, you know, they may think about running a project efficiently, but when you have internal resources. From my experience, the profit margin is not really a big factor for those types of teams, right? It's just about this is a business outcome. This is what we need to get done. We bring in people internally and we we do the job. But when you're talking about a professional services firm, if you're not doing it profitably, then you're pretty much out of business very quickly, right? Yeah, a professional service firm 
I mean, I, I know your audience, Homer, is mostly like tech founders. So you need to think of a different animal, right? Uh, professional services firms is like are all about profitability. I mean, you cannot lose money for months in a row. I mean, it's not that you receive funding for your business to grow. No, this is a, a business model that you you win a client that pays you, I don't know, like 50% upfront. So you hire the people, you do the job, and you deliver the project, and you receive the other like 50%. For example, that's one case. So it's all about profitability. You grow as you are profitable. Okay, so you, you guys had experienced this problem yourself when, when you were running your previous business. How did you get started? You, you talked about doing a lot of market research and, and that showed you that there was a gap in, in the market, even though there were a lot, of, uh, a lot of these horizontal tools, there wasn't much in terms of a good vertical solution here. Yeah. So how, how did you guys get started? Well, what did you start going and, and talking to customers, doing interviews? Did you just go and start building a product? So we we started with our first of all, of course, with with the, with the agency we built before, and and with two other agencies from Buenos Aires that we knew they had a problem. So we asked if they were willing to to try our solution, and they were. We were very glad that we that that they did. They at first they hated it. I mean, the, the the tool was solving the problem. I mean, it was showing them like they were having visibility on their per project's profitability in real time without requiring requiring too much manual efforts uh, to the users. But I mean, UX was not good. UI was not good. We had a lot of bugs, but we validated that it was a solution to a big problem. And that this was helping these companies save a lot of money and, and to increase a lot of their revenue and their profits. So that's when we decided to raise like an angel round with uh, the founder of uh, Mercado Libre. Mercado Libre is like the Amazon for Latin America. It's uh, like an $80 billion company in NASDAQ. And the founder and CEO of Mercado Libre, among with two other investors, they gave us 325K. We use that money to to move here to to Silicon Valley, and we enter into 500 startups. We did a, a seed round, and then we started growing the business. And we have just recently closed our Series A. So, what did your MVP? What, what did that do? And how long did it take you guys to to build it? So, it took us like six to nine months. But of course, in the middle, we were we were iterating it constantly with with users. At first, users paid us like one, two, three, four dollars per user per month. Today, the regular licenses uh, here in the US is thirty dollars per user per month. And this MVP was a vertical tool. I mean, was a project management tool that also include sending estimates, and it has some things to to run overheads. Although it was not a pretty good at overheads and client dashboard, 
So we had all of our tool was like different models. They were all different MVPs. So the problem is that we were not great at nothing, right? We had a, an MVP to sending estimates. We had an MVP to manage the project. And at first, like we really asked ourselves if, if we were doing the right thing, right? Because starting to build a robust solution at first is, is tough because it requires a lot of investment to build something that really will be better than everything among the, the industry, right? And I think that the, the vision was, our vision was was always very clear and uh, I'm glad that we insisted and we like we we've been very resilient and persistent so after we've been validating the different mvps we had on our mvp on our product and and yeah today i mean we have as i was saying before net revenue net revenue retention is pretty high churn is pretty low yeah we have a good a good month over month growth rate so at the end it paid off but it was a hard beginning so when you guys you guys went through 500 startup uh, what were what were the main lessons or the insights that you had from that experience about where you were going with the product and business that's a great question omar i, I mean 500 startups added a lot of value to us here in san francisco so we entered into 500 with a business that was doing almost like you know, like two thousand dollars per month something like that and we had like we were offering free trials to our customers. We were, we were offering free trials, then monthly payments, no contracts, and we were mostly serving SMBs, like small and medium businesses. Once we went to 500 startups, so three, four months after, we were offering no free trials. We were selling to enterprise customers. And when I say enterprise customers is the largest agencies in the world, like we were in different offices, right? Not, not on a global scale. And we were having some Ogilvy offices as clients, YNR, like Young and Rubicam, BBB, BBDO, Havas, Densu, Lubernet, Sachin Sachi, like Macan. I mean, the largest agencies uh, were our clients. And instead of serving on a monthly basis, we were we started to sell on a like we were doing three year contracts. We end up doing after five hundred startups three year contracts. In some cases, five year contracts with prices increases year over year. So three year contracts normally and annual upfront payments. That was great because it helped us finance like finance a lot ourselves with our clients instead of the needing to raise money i mean of course we were willing to raise money for increasing our growth but we didn't need the money to to save the business it was like it was a it was a wish it was not a need right so that positioned ourselves pretty well in order to to negotiate with with investors and our good thing that we did is um so i can think of a, a huge mistake and a, a, also a good a good thing is that people here uh, in in the valley at first they they didn't think that having SDRs, sales development representatives in in Argentina would help us, 
to tackle international businesses here, like here in the US and Europe and more. It was a great achievement to hire SDRs, like pre-sales people, not here in the US were, and not here in the Valley, in the Bay Area, where prices are so high. So that was pretty good. And I would recommend that to a lot of entrepreneurs who might be hearing us. And at the same time, a, a huge mistake for us, for our business is pay that. We invested, we didn't figure out at that time what our best lead generation source was. So we invested for the amount of money we have raised at that time, we invested a, a pretty big amount in, in paid media. And that was a mistake, mostly because we were a robust solution. And it, the same thing as us offering free trials, like getting people on paid ads and offering a free trial on a tool that people wouldn't see the value proposition from scratch. And that is what was not 100% self-service. So that was a big mistake. And I'm glad that we corrected with the help of 500 startups. Yeah, I think it's tempting in the early st stages if you have the money to to lean on paid ads as a way to reach customers faster. Yeah. But if you haven't figured out you know, the value prop you know, clearly, you know, your ICP or how you're going to kind of create that sales and marketing funnel, then, um, hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy to blow a lot of money. And, and you, you tried a bunch of different ad platforms, right? Yeah. Yeah. We tried them mostly all. I mean, we tried Facebook, we tried also all the Facebook, uh, suite like Instagram, we tried LinkedIn, we tried um, Google search, we tried Google display. And of course, some of them like kind of like worked a little bit, but none of them work as good as content marketing and email marketing. I mean, today I can say that almost all our revenue came from like on the mid market to enterprise segment came through either cold emails from our SDRs or through email marketing, uh, like on nurturing, like we're, we're constantly increasing the amount of contacts in our database that we do that on, like with different scrapping tools. So we, we scrap contacts information. We, we have a, a huge database and we send a lot of email marketing in terms of lead, lead nurturing. And both from cold emails and lead nurturing, that's where we receive most of the deals. Okay. So when you talk about email marketing and lead nurturing, that's more of an inbound thing, mm -hmm. right? How does that work? What are people signing up for? Is it they're, they're seeing some, some content and then what do, what do they sign up for? Yeah. So we do... We do some papers, we do, we do like a lot of co-marketing with other institutions. We do podcasts and webinars. We do like, we, we create some documents for people to download as well. We, we also build a lot of success stories with our customers. So people normally leave their emails to, to receive those contents. And at the same time, we we try to get a lot of like we we defined very well i mean one of the if i would try to recommend one thing would be like you need to know 
like what's the target market, like your addressable market, what's your ICP in terms of what's the buyer persona. For us, it was not just like professional services firms and and every person on a on a C level position. We said, okay, from the professional services firms, we're gonna start with creative agencies. And within creative agencies, we're gonna start with the CFO. CFO on a from 50 employees to 200 employees company, uh, like mid-market. And then if it's a, a smaller company, we're going to tackle the C-lab, like CEO that is almost the owner of the company. If it's higher, if it's bigger, the company, we will go to smaller positions, right? So define very well who your ideal customer profile is. And once you know what's their specific pain points on each of these positions, I mean, you are almost set up ready for success. I mean, we, we said like agencies, CFO, 50 to 200 employees, companies, their pain points are these two to three. So we started sending them emails and we were receiving a lot of replies and our SDRs were, and I'm, I'm talking about, about our sales process, like our SDRs were receiving those emails and starting their like doing discovery calls to validate budget authority need and time and if they were qualified they will schedule a demo with a account executive got it yeah i think getting that that specific about who you're reaching out to can can make a big difference if if you're if you're saying i'm going to create cold email or write cold email and i'm going to send it to a cfo of this type of company of this size who has these problems, your message is going to be a lot clearer than I'm going to send a cold email to anybody who works at this company. And then you basically get nobody's attention, right? Because you've, you've just got a very watered down message that, that is, you know, like most of the cold emails that we see. Yeah, exactly. I think that understanding who you're talking to and also talking on what they need to solve on not and not on what you do i think that's key for everyone that, who's starting a business yeah yeah uh, it, it's 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 very nuanced but people don't care about how great your company is or or how excited you are to tell them about something right it's yeah, just like exactly. they have a problem that's all they care about yeah i receive a lot of as you have just said like we receive a lot of cold emails uh, saying, hey, hi, how are you? I, I am John Smith and I, my company does this and that. And like, are you able for five minutes, uh, five minutes conversation? Like, who cares, right? If you're going to the enterprise segment, it's also good to personalize the outreach and also talk about ask, ask more than what you say. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, g- give me an example of a, a typical outreach email, like what that you guys have found work well. Like, wh- what would it say? So, a speaker is your 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 prospect, your lead. You personalize it more, right? And something that would be like, "Hi, Omar. I realized that we both went to Stanford University, and I'm here to ask you, how are you guys?" I, I, I will congratulate you on something you did and something that I read about you and mostly like a, an achievement that the business had. And when I 
mention the business, I'll ask you like, oh, but I will. I, I wonder like how profitable this project was for you. For example, did the client require many changes? How did you manage it? Like, did you estimate the time? Was the estimated time matching the the real time on the project? Something like that. And then I will put like three success stories, like because I like agencies like you, creative agencies like you, based on Seattle, where you Omar are. I will mention agencies from the place this person is and the the size of the business that this person has. And will, I will I will show them how they solve that problem. Probably at first you start saying that the, these agents that these success stories are from the place this person is, but they are not. Once the business starts growing, you can do that. I mean, you can you you have more customers and and you will you will find a way to to be way more personalized. And and then of course, like, do you have five minutes for a, a conversation today or this week? Yeah, that's the way we do it. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great. And, you know, I think f- f- for me often, like a lot of people get a lot of cold email. And my test always has been is like, if I replaced Omer with somebody else's name, would this email work just as well for them? <laughs> right. And if it does, yeah. you're like, okay, I'm, this is not, you know, something I'm really going to pay attention to right now. Yeah, we never tell what we do. Yeah, we never tell what we do on an email. It's not about pitching our company. It's about knowing what the pains of the customer are. Yeah. And and so just by doing, those were the two main drivers for your growth and getting to over seven figures in ARR, right? The, this inbound email marketing, nurturing, and then doing outbound emails. Yeah. Was, was there anything else that, that drove that growth? Yeah. So, of course, we, we try a lot of things. We traveled before before the pandemic. We we used to travel a lot um, to go into the, like, to talk with, like, big CEOs and big CFOs, uh, have in-person meetings. That was good for, like, creating trust. But things changed and we closed the, we closed same figure uh, contracts on Zoom, right? So, but yeah, having having those conversations was and doing some networking was was good. I mean, the the higher you go in terms of uh, if you're tackling like Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500 companies, so the higher you go, the more the more personalized you need to be. So, either traveling or either like sending gifts or like you know, like really thinking on the other person. Like it's more like it's more related to direct marketing and and less massive. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, I want to go back a, a little bit and talk about like number one is like how did you figure out your ICP, your ideal customer profile. You guys had started working with SMBs and it would have been logical to say, let's just keep going and focusing on that as a target market. But you made the move to focus on enterprise. What was the reason for that? And how did you get to that, that conclusion? 
That's a great question. And the reason for that is that we understood that bigger companies have the same problem. And uh, as bigger the company gets, bigger like the big, bigger the problem, right? It's not the same to to manage a project. So although if this is a this is a huge problem for a ten people business, but it's a way more important problem for a 100, 200, 1,000, 10,000 employee business because the more employees you have, the more hours these people put and the more like costs you have on projects and clients. So we understood that this was a problem that as the company scales, the problem scales as well. So that's, we started with SMBs, like with 10, 15, 20 people, professional and creative teams, like businesses. And then we scaled it into the enterprise market. And and then after the enterprise market, like now we are tackling like mid-market to enterprise. We, we found a great sweet spot in both segments. Yeah, I noticed the free trial button was back on the homepage now. So it sounds like you're trying that again or, or that's working for you with, with this sort of change in, in markets. Yeah. So today, before the free trial was, uh, it directed you straight to the product. And today it scales you a conversation with a person that will give you a trial, but understanding your pains before. Ah, got it. Got it. Okay. So in, in whether people click the schedule a demo button or they click the free trial button, they're basically filling out, uh, submitting a form where they'll talk to somebody who will, who will kind of take them through the process. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. You know, I think. Often, because you guys, it's it's it seems like you made the shift towards enterprise businesses pretty early on, and I'm sure going through 500 startups and having some mentoring there maybe gave you more confidence to do that. But a lot of times, one of the things I see with founders or early stage SaaS companies is that they're reluctant to go and and go for those enterprise type customers because they either feel that you know the product isn't mature enough how are we going to build credibility with a company of this size when there's just like you know three of us working in this company and you know if if there are any existing solutions in the market then it sort of makes your product look even more immature because you've only been working on it for you know six to 12 months and and there's a huge feature parity between somebody who maybe is in the market maybe he doesn't have the best solution but they've been doing it for you know 10 years so yeah did you experience any of those challenges as you started to move up market and focus on enterprises 100 percent. i i felt all of those challenges all of those i mean it's very difficult for a a young startup to to build trust and to give credibility to to large enterprises, right? So the the more you can do on creating success stories, the more you can do on building champions. I mean, I think that doing consult like consultative sales and creating champions on the other side that's that's pretty critical, right? If you show the other person how their 
growth is going to be like it's it's going to be impacted by choosing your solution. This person is going to sell within his company or her company better better than the way you can do it, right? Yeah. So building champions is is critical, and it doesn't care if it if you're a startup or if you're a a very big company as as the quote says like no one gets fired for hiring ibm everyone can like <laughs> yeah. they can be fired for hiring you right for for hiring a startup so this is because of the risk right in the enterprise level like no one wants to take a risk and you can mitigate those risks by different ways of course uh, you need to be prepared for like risk assessments and and it it conversations and 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 all of that but building champions on the on the finance level on the it level and showing all of them how their company and how themselves their positions within within their companies could be impacted and, and, and how can they grow by choosing you? Well, that's what they care about. I mean, as we were talking, as, as we were saying a couple of minutes ago regarding cold emails, no one no one cares about how, how great your company is. Everyone cares about how can they grow with you. So selling is not about pitching your company. Selling is about understanding where their pains are and how can they grow by choosing you. And and what does that typical sales cycle look like for you guys from from the point of first contact to getting a contract signed? What what's the typical lead time on on a deal? So our average sales cycle is uh, eighty six days for the for the mid market mid market and some enterprise contracts. Eighty six days is is a is a sales cycle and and. Typically, what what does that involve? Like, I think you you sort of alluded to this a little earlier. It's more than just give them a demo and then they sign the contract. There's a bunch of stakeholders and decisions and evaluations that need to be made. Yeah. So the champions come. The champion comes in. They see a demo. They require for material. They they enter into an active evaluation process, and that's also the way we call it on the CRM. And so we open the deal, we, we, we open the deal on the CRM, we, we, we show like the customer, all like the, the tool, we understand the pains, we, we show them, we customize the demo on how, so we don't customize our product, but we customize our demo regarding the pains this person has and how can they be solved with us. And once this person says, Hey, I think this is the tool we need. We send them, we send this person the material and they normally come to a second conversation and they, they will add more people from their team, more buyers. And we, of course, ask like who the ultimate decision, decision maker is. And we try to bring him or her to a second conversation. And if the company is very big, then you will go to IT, then you go, then you will probably you'll sign an RFP and you negotiate. In our case that we charge per user per month, you will negotiate a pricing regarding the amount of users. If you're talking about an enterprise customer, if it's a mid-market customer, those things are easier, are shorter. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we should wrap up. So let's get on to the lightning round. I'm going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. All right. Sure. Yeah. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? My, my father once told me that if I wanted to start my own business, that I should do it before I, I take a lot of responsibilities, uh, like family and, you know, like getting married having, having kids. So yeah, start the business as fast as you can. And at the moment of your life where you can take risks. Yeah. Good advice. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I would recommend start with why, because I think a purpose and vision is, uh, it's key. Then other books are for other stages. But first of all, if you're starting and, and thinking of starting something, start with why from Simon Sinek, it, it's good. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Resilience, 100%. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? Core. <laughs> of course. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I would do social impact and I'll try to do it with um, undeveloped countries. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? <laughs> that I started my first business in a deposit that had no, no windows <laughs> and yeah, no windows and almost like no, there's no space for, for putting other things that, uh, that a table and, um, and two chairs. <laughs> Love it. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Scuba diving. Scuba diving. Nice. That's the first, I haven't heard that one before. All right, great. Well, Santi, thank you so much for uh, joining me and sharing your story. If people want to find out more about Core, they can go to projectcore.com. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I would suggest LinkedIn, Santi Bibiloni. Great. We'll include uh, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. So folks can find that. Great. Well, thanks, thanks again, Santi. I uh, wish you and the team the best of success. And uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much, Omar. Yes.